throughout my teenage years, I was already a fairly heavy drinker at 15 or 16 years old. You know, I always drank a little bit, weekends here and there. But as I got to college, that really escalated. And running and just about everything else became second priority to my partying and drinking. Quit running my junior year in college. Never thought I would run again. Here and there, people would tell me I drink too much, but you know, I kind of didn't really worry about that. When I was 39, I uh, was in a book club with my father, came into his office, and it's just my father and my stepfather there. And my antennas were up and I kind of knew what was going on. So they just said, hey, Nathan, you know, we're very concerned with your health, your drinking. You know, this was an intervention, but I really saw their concern. And for the first time, you know, light bulb went off in my head that my loved ones were legitimately like worried about me, concerned about me. That was quite the, uh, the day for my, I thought I was gonna go to the office to checking myself into an eight week program. And I realized, you know, this to be successful, everything in my life had to change. I kind of tried to do it Nathan's way and it failed miserably. Hey guys, welcome to the Run Free Podcast where we talk about training using our holistic five principles. As longtime athletes and now coaches, we're super excited to take everything that we've learned over the last few decades and share it with you to help you find your optimal performance. Today we're talking with longtime Run Free athlete Nathan Dieter. He's a masters racer who races across the country in the 5K and is a top performer there. But what's most impressive to me about Nathan is this road to sobriety that he's been on over the last four years. When I first met Nathan out in Flagstaff, Arizona at our first run free camp, Ryan introduced me and said, can you believe that this skinny guy used to weigh 200 pounds? <laughs> and it's hard to believe when you look at him that in just such a short period of time, Nathan has really transformed himself both physically and also his life as a whole. I knew at some point we had to get Nathan on the podcast to dive deeper into his journey. I hope you guys enjoy this conversation with Nathan. I'm your host, Chad Hall, and this is the Run Free Podcast. All right, Nathan, welcome to the podcast. We're excited to have you on here. Um, we met at a Run Free camp uh, two years ago, right in Flagstaff, Arizona. And I remember you telling me your story and it just kind of blew me away. And I knew we had to, we had to tell it at some point here. Um, but first off, how did you get into the Run Free program? I know we were just chatting, you know, Jay, and uh, I think there's an interesting story there if you want to tell us about it. Yeah, right. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, I guess, you know, how I got, was introduced to Run Free was I watched Ryan's documentary, uh, 41st Day, and was super inspired. Uh, I had a I was in a different uh, running program at that point and just emailed him and did some, you know, internet hunting and found out that about the run free program. And so, you know, made my submission and then joined you guys. And then I actually got to meet Jay in person at a race. I guess it was two March before last. Uh, I was doing a 10 K in Rome, Georgia, which I guess uh, that's where Jay ran, right? Jay, you ran at Barry College? Yeah, I ran at Barry in Rome, Georgia, yep. And so I got a chance to meet him before, and we chit-chatted a little bit, and he said, um, hey, I'm going to be the lead bike at this race. Do you think you're going to be in the front? And I said, gosh, you know, I don't, I don't really know. Um, maybe. And so sure enough, you know, I did my normal thing where I blow it out of the box pretty quick <laughs> right behind Jay, and Jay's run the course a million times, and he's being so uh, instructed. He's like, here comes a hill, you know, pick it up a little bit. And then I see – at about four and a half miles in, Jay, you know, was poking his head around 
a few too many times and he goes, you've got one hard coming. <laughs> so, you know, sure enough, about a 23 year old came blowing past me with about a mile and a half to go. And so, um, that was, uh, that was, a, it was a great race, but it was a good way to meet Jay, um, get to chat on his home turf a little bit. So since then, so I've been with run free for gosh, uh, almost two years. So we two years in November. Um, so, Hey, Nathan, that split, uh, I think I remember you're, you're running what, maybe five thirties around there. Is that right? Well, yeah. I remember the first mile was like five seventeen, and you're yeah. like, Oh, it felt pretty good. But I felt that five seventeen about mile five. That, <laughs> yeah. So. And then that, that guy, the interesting thing about that race though, is the guy that came by was running maybe 520 pace. And I think maybe at that point you had slowed a little bit to like five thirty fives or five thirty eights. And so you still finished well, but it was just that, uh, slight, you know, shift of you slowed down about five or six seconds and he sped up five or right. six. Seconds. And then it was like a pretty quick, uh, drastic, uh, extension, right. but you hung on pretty well, as I remember. Right. I remember when I remember with about a little less than a mile to go, he wasn't extending the lead anymore. And I was like, okay, maybe he's dying more than I am. <laughs> and so, but then, you know, he kicked with about a quarter mile to go. It was, he sprinted in down that last straightaway and it was, it was over. So. Yeah. But, yeah. That yeah. was super fun, man. You did, you did light up that first mile though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was, that was fun. It, it's so funny how there's always that hindsight at the end of races where you're like, yeah, that first mile was a little hot, but it felt so good. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, you always tell yourself, you know, like, oh, I'm only going to run 530s as long as I can. And then you start out 517. I go, well, that wasn't too bad. But then, you know, stringing five of the more of those together is not going to happen for me. So, um, you know, self-discipline in that first mile is a little tough for me, but we're working on it. So, yeah. I always have this thought of like, this is going to be the best race of my life. Of course it's happening today. Exactly. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> positive, that positive thinking. Like this is it. You still have yeah. training. That yeah, much better than I thought I was. <laughs> yeah. Positivity can get the best of you sometimes. Right. Many, at least. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you, you work with uh, Rachel Smith now. It used to be Rachel Snyder. Uh, that's correct. So she's been my coach since the beginning. Um, seen a ton of progress. I've, uh, you know, dropped about a minute 20 or so in the 5k and over two minutes in the 10k. Uh, so it's been, it's been fantastic. Uh, doing a lot of races around the country. Finally got to meet her in person two weeks ago, uh, up in Maine, did the uh, beach to beacon race, which was highly, re highly recommend that for anybody It's a bucket list kind of race. It's absolutely amazing. You run along the coast of Maine, finish at the oldest commission lighthouse in America finished on grass, which is really cool. So, um, you know, she went off with the elites, obviously. And then we had, uh, the, I got to go off, the elite bin went right off in front of me, which was really neat to see um, how fast those guys really go, uh, you know, in, in a race. You know, I, once again, I ran a little bit too quick of a mile, but I could barely see the police car, you know, at mile one. That's how good those guys were rolling. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah it's crazy these days when you watch like the guy setting like the 10k like road world records they look like they're like sprinting and they're like flying around corners and they're like kind of banking you're like man what is going on <laughs> you guys are so fast 
I think, I think, uh, you know, I know a lot of talk has been about the shoes with that, man, I gotta say it makes a huge difference to have the carbon fiber shoes and the cushion and the ability to pound your legs and not feel uh, the repercussions of it. And so when I watch those guys, I'm like, man, they're running so much faster with the shoes that, that we have now compared to like, think Nathan, when we were first coming up, man, like those flat, I mean, you felt every step on that concrete, man. Oh yeah. The lighter, the better is nothing was the best. Yeah. Yeah. I remember having some (laughs) like, uh, some Nike like waffles that were basically Mm -hmm. spikes with no spikes in them. And like, when I think about running in those now as a 40 year old, I'm like, man, I, I wouldn't make it two miles. No, it makes done. my legs hurt thinking about it. Yeah. 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 So, so Nathan, before we kind of jump back in time here and, and run through your story, um, right now you're, you're running on the roads a lot. You're doing a lot of like 5k, 10k stuff, right? Like what, what are your current goals? Like, what are you, where are you chasing after? So I've had a pretty good, like I've, mentioned my times have come down a lot. I'd say my current goals are, uh, I would love to finish in the top 10 in the country. In some of these national 5k, 10k master races I've been running. I finished 16th in the country this past year in 5k. That was right here in Atlanta in February. You know, I think if I can drift down another 20, 30 seconds, I can be right in that mix. That would be, um, you know, fantastic. I'd love to get, so I'd love to get under 16 for the 5k, um, under 34 for the 10k. Uh, that would be, those are two goals that I think are, are doable. Um, I know I'm getting older. I'll be 43 tomorrow. Um, but you know, I think I got a few more years of, uh, you know, left of improving, uh, you know, as a, I'll mention in a little bit, I gave my legs a good 19, 20 year break from running zero. So uh, I think there's still some more miles and some more good times in there. So uh, my, uh, I'm lucky enough to have a great wife that loves to travel and she sees, you know, we make a little vacations out of these races. And so that's, that's been fantastic too. So you, know, you guys got married recently, didn't you? We got married in October. And so uh, it's been great. We, you know, we, we dated for six months, we're engaged for six months. So, you know, wow. we, it's been, uh, it's been great. I'm, you know, I got married at 42 and life has, can, you know, life keeps getting better. That's for sure. So the, uh, she's a, she's a runner. She, our first date was a 5k. Uh, I couldn't get her, uh, she'll probably kill me for saying this, but, uh, you know, I asked her, I asked her out and she said she was busy for three or four weeks. And I was thinking to myself, well, if he's busy for three or four weeks, you can just you know tell me no, it's fine. And, uh, she, uh, I just said, Hey, I'm missing, you know, I learned that she was a runner and I said, Hey, I'm running this 5k, you know, in town on in a couple of weeks, you're more than welcome to join if you'd like. And so she said, sure. So I didn't think she would say yes. And so I went and picked her up never met her before. We went and ran a 5k. So she was like, Oh, I guess, you know, when we started, she was like, I guess the race, she goes, I guess we're going to run together. And I said, no, I'm, I'm going to try to win this. So <laughs> see you at the end. So, did you really just take <laughs> off so i cheered her on at the finish so you know so we've been together ever since <laughs> that's so great just totally ditch your day and then yeah. it all works out <laughs> that's right 
<laughs> oh, oh my man. gosh. That's so hilarious. Well, uh, hey, I mean, yeah. you, if she can accept you at your best slash worst, that's right. You're, you're good to go. Your that's, best racing, best racing, worst date. That's I, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think Nathan's just flipping it. He's like, you think you're hard to get? I'm hard to get. Yeah, that's, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Uh, that's great. <laughs> um, so yeah, let's, let's kind of get into it. So um, for, for people watching, you might see Nathan pretty slender dude. And I remember meeting you at camp and I think Ryan introduced us and he was like, Nathan used to weigh 200 pounds is that right over 200 the most i ever saw on a scale was 196 but i'm not i'm 100 sure i was heavier than that at some point so wow. probably 210 2 to 15 is probably max and, and how about, tall how, are you yeah you're not 5'8 yeah yeah and you had ran in college so somewhere between college working a bunch you you kind of end up there so so run us through a little bit just like your college runner, I think we were talking about PRs. Your PR was like 16, uh, 20, 20 something, right? In the 5K? 16, 24, somewhere in there. Okay. So, so um, yeah. Yeah, I can kind of just start. So, I, you know, I, I grew up here in Atlanta. I grew up a great big giant family. I have four sisters. Could not have a better childhood, really. You know, I had played a ton of sports. Um, you know, I was a big tennis player growing up. Till about ninth grade, I started running in ninth grade to stay in shape for tennis and kind of got a little burned out from tennis and realized I was pretty decent at running. And so, you know, kept the running going. Uh, I walked on to Auburn University to run cross country and track there. Uh, it was good enough to be on the team. That's about it. And then transferred uh, and um, ran at a little division two school called Carson Newman College. Let me back up for a little bit. I guess, you know, throughout all this, um, throughout my teenage years, I was already a fairly heavy drinker at 15 or 16 years old. Uh, started drinking, experimenting with drinking. I would say athletics curved that a little bit. And what my parents thought, you know, concerned me too. So I dabbled in it. You know, I always drank a little bit, weekends here and there. But as I got to college, that really escalated. And running, uh, and just about everything else became second priority to my partying and drinking. Um, so that caused a couple college transfers, grades suffered, um, and you know, uh, came out of college in the professional world. I, I quit running my junior year in college. Never thought I would run again. You know, I thought that I was, and I was fine with that. Totally, one hundred percent fine. You know, I'm, I'm finished. You know, what, what good is it going to do me to run? I, I'm getting my professional career, but as this is going on, my drinking is escalating, uh, went from, you know, drinking three or four days a week. to now I'm out of college and I'm drinking every day, um, in the evenings, you know, I, I was always justification is, uh, is, is a real, real source of sin, I think. So I was able to justify my drinking with, um, Hey, I have a good job. I have a house, I have a car. Um, so, you know, here and there, people would tell me I drink too much, but, you know, I kind of didn't really worry about that. Well, this progressed, like we talked about the weight gain, that was probably, you know, that sneaks up on you just like anything else, three or four pounds a year, boom, but you times that by 17, 18 years, it's a lot of pounds. Uh, so 
when I was 39, I uh, was in a book club with my father and uh, I came into his office and it's just my father and my stepfather there. And my antennas were up and I kind of knew what was going on. So they just said, hey, Nathan, you know, we're very concerned with your health, your drinking. Uh, so I guess you know, this was an intervention, but I really saw their concern. And for the first time, you know, light bulb went off in my head that my loved ones were legitimately like worried about me and concerned about me. And so they, I agreed just to go talk with someone. So that talk ended up with me uh, checking myself into an eight week program uh, here in Georgia. So that was quite the, uh, the day for my, I thought I was going to go to the office to checking myself into an eight week program. And I realized, you know, for this to be successful, everything in my life had to change. I kind of tried to do it Nathan's way and it failed miserably. Uh, so, you know, I really need to reprioritize my life. I put God back first in my life. I grew up in the church. You know, everything had taken a backseat to my drinking relationships church, work, everything. So I refocused my life, uh, put faith in God and said, hey, you know, I've tried to do it my way and it's not worked. I'm willing to, you know, follow you and, and see where it goes. And it has been quite the ride and it's been fantastic. Uh, I dropped, so I was in the program for eight weeks, I dropped, you know, 15 or 20 pounds just from not drinking alcohol. Uh, I then rode, uh, bought a stationary bike when I got out of recovery. Started riding that every day for about six or seven months. And then I decided to jump into 5K down at St. Simon's Island, Georgia. And, you know, I really missed, you know, when I jumped on that in that race, I didn't realize how much I missed the racing atmosphere and those 5Ks and 10Ks and that camaraderie that comes with that. And so I, you know, I ran 21 or 22 minutes or something. And then I said, well, let's just stick to this running and see where it goes. And so that was um, July of 2019. Yeah, July 2019. And so since then, it's been running full steam ahead. And life keeps getting better you know, every week. I'm coming up on four years sober now, which is, is great. Uh, I have my family to think I have an unbelievable supportive team. Uh, you know, you really find out who loves you. Well, you always can find out who you like, but when you, when you're really at your worst moments, who's, who's backing you and who's sticking with you um, and who at your worst moments say they're proud of you. That's, that's, you know, true love. And I have a great, support team of family and you know now a beautiful wife too that totally supports me so it has been quite the ride yeah that's crazy man so so a lot of people i feel like they try to make that change they try to leave their their mm -hmm. drinking right and they go back they go through this like mm -hmm. ebb and flow right for you is just one intervention and you were going right. on your way so yeah for me it was about acceptance. It was the biggest, it was the biggest thing. Accepting the fact I'm an alcoholic. I can never drink again. And what do I need to do to make my life successful? What, what do I, what, what systems do I need to put in place? And I'm going to go beyond and above that 
to, to make sure that happens. And so for me, uh, it was, you know, a recovery center inpatient. It was a lot of meetings, um, still daily. I have to do something every single day for my sobriety. And so that is something that has been, I've been blessed that it's worked for me. Um, now, like you said, some people go back and, um, that's never far from my mind. I realize it scares me to death. It re- I realize I have to do something every single day because I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm just as vulnerable as anybody else, but I try to put systems in place where I don't, that's, I'm going to try my best for that not to happen, but I can't be, you know, have an ego that that's, I'm above that or something, you know? So that is, um, I treat it like any disease, like anybody's diagnosed with. Um, if you got cancer, you're going to do exactly what the doctor tells you now. So I went into recovery with kind of the same attitude. I've got a disease. I'm going to do everything these specialists tell me to do to make sure, um, cause we have a treatable disease. So that's kind of the attitude I've taken with that. And to talk about that acceptance part, I think it's an interesting thing where I feel like in some ways people who have gone through any sort of addiction, but you kind of come to this place of humility, right? Where you accept this thing, this issue that you have. And I think that's something that, and like with that, it's a daily struggle, right? It's a daily choice to not drink, to keep moving forward with the path that you've chosen. And I think that we all have to do that in different ways. I think in some ways, when you're dealing with a something that's a very clear addiction process, it makes it this it, there's this obvious pathway through that but i think that that's so applicable to us in our daily life like we always have to make good daily decisions right moment by moment choosing the right way um so i think that's it's super impressive to me that you've gone through it all at one time and and really just like stayed the course because i think that's super difficult to do um so was do you feel like you know, you said you put God first back in your life. You created these structures, right, that helped you in that process. Was that something in rehab that they, like, encouraged you guys to do? Or is that something you just chose for yourself? Well, for, it is 100% encouraged that you, um, you know, should have a higher power um, be your focus. And, you know, luckily for me, for me growing up in the church, that's, that's been God. Uh, and, you know, so that's kind of... For sure. That's hundred percent right. Yeah. They, they for sure. The motto is, you know, you, you've tried it your way. How's that work for you? <laughs> Hasn't worked very well for most of us. So you come to that realization and the light bulb clicks on, um, you know, a lot of, you know, for me at the beginning, a lot of ego and pride's in the way of that. You know, you don't, you don't want to accept that. You know, you've, you think you're doing you're well, I'm doing okay. Well, not really. So that's, 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 you know, goes with that acceptance I was talking about earlier, earlier. So, you know, I think one of the mistakes that we all make on a daily basis is we assume that when we struggle, everyone else isn't struggling. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I can say like, just kind of taking that idea from your experience, Nathan, and comparing it to running and to our athletes and to daily being involved in the sport. I used to think that professional elite athletes 
like you see them train, you see them race. And I used to think, oh, it must be easy for them. All they have to do is get up and run. But the more opportunity to be around different levels of athletes, like we're all going through these similar struggles with like, I don't want to go run today. I don't want to get out of bed. I've got this struggle in my life I got to deal with. I've got that to deal with. What were some of those like systems that you put in place? Right. Um, I would say routine and discipline were hundred percent super important for me. Uh, especially beginning of sobriety. I had to, uh, I didn't know what I was doing every minute of every day to make sure I was not going to take a drink. So, uh, that was where I, you know, I, I knew what these, this times were meetings, this times was working out, this times was work. So those are the systems I put in place at the beginning that became, uh, so those, you know, became chores. they, you know, from the beginning, they were chores, right. But those chores became behaviors, behaviors came habits. And, um, those are things I still do every single day that I, you know, I have routines, um, I'm a pretty disciplined guy. I pretty much know what I'm doing most times of the day. So I think it's important to have, you know, systems in, in place on your day-to-day life and, you know, stay pretty disciplined with those. So contrast that to, you know, your life prior to mm-hmm. making that change. What were the mentalities towards, you know, just your daily living? Like, were things more unstructured? Like you said, everything was kind of backseat to the, to the drinking part, right? Right. I mean, my days were going to work till, going to work and then counting, you know, the minutes till five o'clock hit, and then I would be able to go grab drinks with my buddies at the bar and then kind of do the same thing every day. That's pretty much what I did every day for 19, 20 years. In order to change all that, I had to totally change my way of thinking. I had to say, what's, what are the things I need to do every day to make it successful? And so those are, you know, I had to, it took a long time and it was not fun for a long time. But, uh, you know, I knew it had to change if I wanted to stick around on this planet. You know, I had to, I had to change my way of life. So there was no option for me. So it was pretty easy, actually. To know I had to change or I probably wouldn't be around. I probably wouldn't be talking to you guys. So you you felt like you were on like a real destructive path then? Like when they- I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, when I was going into recovery, my blood pressure was so high. They almost took me to the ER. I mean, it was, it was my liver enzymes were super elevated. It was, uh, it was a bad situation. So, and, the, you know, you do the things like you don't go to the doctor because- you know, it's not going to be a good report. You do things like that. I mean, I'd been, I'd had a physical in 10 plus years before I went into recovery, you know? So, um, cause I knew it was not going to be a good report. <laughs> so. Plus you're going to get that question. Like how many drinks do you have a week? And you're like, Eesh. Oh no. Yeah. I need to get a calculator. It was, it was a, the physician always says he, they multiply that times two now. Anyway, with whatever they tell, whatever people tell them, that's what my doctor told me but but it's easy for me because it's zero. So zero times two is still zero. So. so to rewind a little bit, just like kind of how the whole process of addiction started for you. Um, sounds like you started off just socially drinking, right? Like what was that? I mean, pretty young. 
I would say, you know, I don't even know. I've kind of debated that. I don't know if that's hundred percent accurate for me. You know, when you're, you're a teenager, 15, 16, 17, I guess everyone drinks to get drunk. Right. So, but I was always find myself, I would be the guy that's a little bit more drunk than everyone else. Um, I would still, you know, in college, I would be the, most of the time, the guy that drank the most at the party. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I guess who knows if I'm from predisposition to that, or, you know, I'm not really sure. Uh, but that's kind of, so I would say, but it did escalate. There is no doubt about that Chad. So, you know, I drank in college a lot. I drank a little bit more than the average college student. Yes. But then, you know, as I got into my professional career, it really escalated. Um, I, you know, it, it for sure escalated over time. And it got to the point where it got to, it was fun until it wasn't fun. So it would be fun. And I just, we, you know, you, you write it off as, Oh, I just drank too much big deal, you know, kind of thing. But you start doing that a whole bunch of times. There's probably an issue. I, I'm so thankful that my father and stepfather and other family members and friends pointed out to me when they did. And you know, I'm very blessed and thank God every day that that light bulb went off for me that, hey, you know, like what Jay was saying, it doesn't just affect me. It's a, this is affecting my whole family. This is, you know, a disease that everyone I'm, I'm spreading it out to my whole family members and friends. And it's really affecting their lives. That's kind of the, you know, the antithesis of changing your life is was really knowing the people that love you are generally concerned people that will have your back no matter what, like, you know, they're not just doing this for their own good. Telling you you have a drinking problem. This is, they're legitimately concerned for your life. And I kind of thought, you know, when I started, when I started that whole process, I was like, okay, we're, we're going to solve this drinking thing. And then we're going to be done with it. It's not going to tell me how not to drink. And I'll be done. Well, not quite that easy. You have to change really everything. You have to change the way you think, the way you behave, the way you treat others. And that whole transition is what keeps you sober. You know, the, the posture of putting others first. Um, world's not about Nathan. That kind of attitude I had for a really long time. At first, I just thought it was going to be a check the box thing. Let's just quit drinking and move on. But that's not, that's not how it works at all. I, I think that's such actually like a cool thing about addiction. Because like, for one, I think probably a lot of us deal with some level of addiction to something, right? And then to have to flip... It's like you have to first live a good life to break the addiction, which is a cool byproduct of that, right? By not drinking, you live a pretty well thought out life, you know? Right. And that's one thing I thought too, I said, when I first went through this process, I just thought I would never have fun again. Because I, I equated drinking with fun. I was like, every time I had fun, I was drinking. I go, well, you know, I just want to have fun. You know, it's better than dying, I guess. But that is 100% inaccurate. I mean, I have more fun now than I ever did. Uh, blacked out drunk, you know, worried about uh, who I text or what I said, or uh, I never have to worry about that, you know, anymore. So it's, uh, life is so much more fun. So that's, uh, I was 100% I was wrong about that. Yeah, that's cool. Because I think a lot of times, and I'm, I'm just kind of guessing this with you, that with addictions, I feel like a lot of times we're trying to do something, we're trying to fill something 
a need that we have that's not necessarily bad that we have that need but then it's like we just use the wrong pathway to do that right so it's like in some ways it's funny because I was a complete opposite like through high school and college I was super anti-alcohol like didn't drink at all like very judgmental towards people that drink and in some ways I was almost too far on the other side of that where it's like I removed myself from having like good social interactions with people because of the judgment that I had towards it so it's like the flip side of that is not great either I think there's like there's a happy medium there of like the wanting to be social the wanting to participate I think that part is actually not bad but it's it's kind of too bad that like alcohol is so socially acceptable and it's a thing that gets presented in those situations all the time so how how do you how do you view like do you have what's the balance of grace and maybe accountability that you have thinking about both past past Nathan and like current Nathan like do you look back at yourself and have understanding or do you feel judgment towards it oh gosh that's something I really had to work through for a long time you go through uh the recovery process and you know they really want you to write down things you, re, you know, that you resent and why, why you think you re, were drinking so much. And I was like, golly, you know, I really don't have that much resentment for people or things, or I've had a pretty great life. And then I realized that I resented myself a lot because of my behavior when I was drinking. And that's something I really had to work through. Um, and I had to forgive myself for things that I've, that I've done. So I was super hard on myself uh, through some of my behavior that I had done. But, you know, on the flip side of that, I can't, the way, the way I can make that better is to live a better life now. And so that's kind of what I've, tr- that's what I've tried to do, try to do every day and try to take it easy on myself. So, um, but then as far as, you know, the, I can, you know, I can hundred percent be around folks that are drinking. I don't like um, people to feel uncomfortable if they're having a cocktail. My wife loves to go to the wineries and she's a wine collector and all that. And I think that everyone should be able to go and feel comfortable doing what they want to do. It's just not something that I can do. And I like to, I like to say that I've already drank in my lifetime allowance of alcohol in my first 39 years. And so I'm, I'm, I'm finished. So, you know, um, I don't have, you know, turn my nose up to people that want to have a cocktail or have a glass of wine. So, uh, they're, they're lucky. I'm, I, I, they're blessed folks that can have one drink and, you know, be fine with that one or two or whatever that, that is not in my DNA, unfortunately. Um, it would be more like one or two bottles of wine at a time. So it wouldn't, that's just not how I'm hardwired and had to learn to accept that. So, so, uh, Nathan, one of the questions that I was thinking about um, that increasingly I get as a 40, I'm 42, you're 43, mm-hmm. is from other athletes that are getting older into their 40s, like, how are you still doing it? And I think it's interesting sometimes when an athlete has a long break and then mm-hmm. comes back to their running later, because there's huge upside for you. Mm-hmm. Like you, you're right. You still have the opportunity to run really well. 
and and maybe you did all your drinking before but now <laughs> you've got all your now you've got all your running to do I know. Um, so how how's your 40 year old body doing how how is it uh responding to training like is there anything is there any tips and uh nuggets that you can give other 40 year olds uh that maybe did something similar to you in terms of taking a break and now they're coming back to training. Like what's worked well? Yeah, I like to say, you know, you think about when, when I ran in college, I go, man, maybe I wasn't such a party animal. I could have been a lot faster in college, you know. But, uh, you know, I, after taking 19 plus years off, I would say, I, you know, I dove right back into it and dropped significant. I went from a 21 minute, 21 and change, I think 21.45 to 18 minute 5K and four or five months. Um, and then, you know, down to 16s now, but I would say just like anything else, uh, consistency. I'm very consistent. Um, I was looking back at some of my logs. I've, I run between 35 and 45 miles every single week for the past three and a half years. Uh, I would say just being consistent. Uh, you know, I'm very lucky to have Rachel holds me very accountable. Um, you know, as our, as my coach, but, you know, also I think it's important. Chad and I were talking about some minute before is, is recovery process. I never really learned that when I was a younger runner either is taking the extra day off if you need it. Um, I'm still learning that. Cause I think I'm still have the mindset is if I'm taking a day off, I'm not getting fitter. Uh, so I, you know, I, I'm very goal oriented, oriented guy. And so I figured, well, taking a day off or taking 30 seconds slower this you know a mile while on this run is counterproductive so that you know changing that whole mindset has been uh has allowed me to improve quicker i think too and i love i love being competitive i love racing you know against guys around my age or or the younger guys you know i had a guy i ran a race last weekend and i had a 16 year old kid pass me at the end and he goes you're the fastest old guy I've ever seen. So I don't know if that, I don't know whether to thank him or, or, or if it was an insult, I wasn't totally sure, but uh, oh, that that's a thing. <laughs> sure, man. Okay. <laughs> so um, I would say consistency is the key. I mean, I think cons- consistent training is, is the key. And I think that's just any kind of behavior you want to be good at is being consistent. So I love it that you pointed out um, taking the day off if mm-hmm. you needed one, because <clears throat> that's one that I've had to learn the hard way too. it used to be as a younger athlete, like I'd feel something and I'd just push through it and hope that it went away. And sometimes it did, which is what taught me to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I had a little bumper bruise and I just ran through it, but it gets harder and harder as you get older. And man, I've just gotten so confident in being allowed to take that one, two or three days off and let something run its course. Mm -hmm. And then that fourth or fifth day, you're right back at it. So I love that you're, you're kind of figuring that out as well, but it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to take. It's very hard. And now, you know, I'm, I'm in better, I mean, I'm, I'm in the best shape of my life right now at 43 years old. And so you want to get faster. Now, I don't know how much, I mean, if father time's going to take 
that away from me eventually. I would guess I would have a few more years, but you know, at the same time, I want to push to see how much fitter and faster I can get. That's a constant struggle too, but I do need to take the extra day off. You know, it's funny as uh, uh, in thinking about consistency, and I think I can say this about myself. I would for sure say it's about Ryan, but runners in general. I think a lot of times we do have like an addictive personality. You know, like we do, like I'm the same exact way when you're talking about other people are drinking to a place of like, um, just like being maybe buzz. And it's like, I want to do everything to the max. So I'm right there. I would have been right there with you if I was drinking at that point in my life, you know. Um, But in terms of, there's a positive effect of that too, right? I think the consistency thing, it's like we can also do the running thing to the max too. And I think that's why probably for you, slotting some things in there that you can maybe i don't want to say be obsessive with but be very hyper focused on right and doing well um and we talked about this a little bit so you you kind of had these things that you slot in there was running you know you you talked about kind of coming back to god you're coming back to running was it important to you to like come back to the things that you maybe left behind well you know something I really didn't have to think about too much. You know, I just said, I'm going to focus on God and not worry about what happens and try to do the next right thing. It's all I was going to do with my life and not drink that day. That's a good day for me if I don't drink. So that, that kind of puts it in perspective for me. You know, I can have something t- terribly go wrong and go, you know what? I didn't have to drink because of that. And, uh, you know, hopefully I followed God's will and what I'm doing in my behavior and the way I treated people. So, you know, I think, I don't think I, you know, I I think just having God, being God focused and just letting everything chips fall where they may. Um, And that's, it's, it's worked so far. I, you know, I've, uh, business has grown a lot. My relationships with my family have gotten a ton better. You know, I've lucky enough to meet my beautiful wife. You know, if my wife had met me four years ago, she wouldn't have given me the time of day. Um, you know, with my kind of behavior I had. So God, I think God puts everything in a timeline when he's ready, when he knows you're ready to. And so I'm extremely blessed on that front, you know? So. That's awesome. When, when was the first time you laced up the running shoes and went out the door and like kind of what was the thought process there? So, yeah. So I wrote this, like I said, I rode the stationary bike for a few months and then there's a little fourth of my, my mother and my stepfather live on the coast of Georgia. And there's a little fourth of July 5k down there. And so I just said, you know what, I'm going to start jogging a little bit and I'll, you know, hop in that 5k. And so I ran, started running about three weeks before that, you know, probably 10 times and then ran that 5k and then signed up for another race and another race and another race. And then it just, you know, compounded over time. So How that's, much- how much did you weigh when you first started running? Like, were well, I was you already, first... down. no, I was down. You I had lost, down. I had lost, uh, probably 40. I was probably down to like 160 pounds in my first race. Oh, wow. So Whoa. I was probably down 50 pounds. Was that just not drinking? And so like, when I was in recovery in that eight weeks, just from a hundred percent, just not drinking, no exercise. Not, I mean, sitting on the couch and reading, I lost 15 pounds just from not the amount of calories I would consumed um, in alcohol. And so then when I got out and started, you know, having some activity, it was kind of like your body just saying, oh, wow, I missed this. And the pounds just started, you know, 
shedding off. Um, and you don't have those late night uh, pizza orders and things like that when you're not drinking. So, all right. Hey, hey, what, so. About, what about sleep, Nathan? Because, uh-huh. you know, one of the things with Run Free, we, we try to touch on is this holistic five, you know, <laughs> and one of them is rest and sleep. Part of that's running your easy days easy. But then again, really sleep is like huge. So ha- what happened with your sleep? Not drinking. Does the sleep was a whole nother ball game. I mean, I could, we could have a whole nother call just on that. I mean, I sleep seven to eight hours every night and just the quality amount of sleep when I wasn't, now that I was sober was, you could just, was night and day. I was so much more rested every day. It was amazing. And you're, I mean, that, so that obviously, you know, like you're saying, it travels through your whole day. You were way more productive at work. You're way, you know, more alert. You're, you're able to run better. You're able to exercise better. You're able to do everything better. And so the, the, the sleep was a huge factor. You're not as, maybe you're not as on edge, you know, with people, you know, all those kind of things to really translate from good sleep. So that, that was, that was huge for me. So one, one of the things I've been looking into recently is with sleep and alcohol and suggesting Mm -hmm. to our run free athletes is I believe this is right. That alcohol's half-life is eight hours. So mm-hmm. eight hours later, it's still in your bloodstream and it affects the quality of sleep more than the quantity. So mm-hmm. like people get into this cycle. I was actually talking to an athlete a few weeks ago. She was having a hard time sleeping and she was drinking a glass of wine or two every night. And then she would drink a glass of wine or two to go to sleep. But then it was a negative feedback loop because her sleep quality would be poor. She'd be tired when she woke up and then it would just totally repeat itself. So Mm -hmm. did you recognize that when you were drinking, like my sleep's horrible or did you just not even? I did not. So I had drank drank so long, so much that I didn't, you know, you don't even recognize it until you stop doing it. And so when I, when I stopped, I was just so much more alert and, you know, clear-eyed and you know you're clear-eyed from obviously being sober but also amount of sleep that you get and quality sleep uh you know it's a total total game changer for me yeah it's crazy how a lot of times you don't know how bad you felt until you get out of it right and you're like wow and i do that all the time when i finally get a good night's sleep and i'm like man i didn't realize i felt crummy yesterday So did you, in terms of like, you know, this path of getting on the running routine, you're dropping weight essentially by being active and not drinking. Are you doing anything with your nutrition along the way? So I try just to not eat terrible. Um, you know, obviously, <laughs> I mean, I do like, I, I don't eat, I mean, I eat a lot. We, we eat healthy at our house, you know, and, and running, I run in the afternoons after work every day. So I'm not going to eat something crazy terrible before because I know I've got five whether it's a five mile easy run or a hard interval workout I'm not going to put a whole bunch of uh, some of the terrible in my body Um, but I'm 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 constantly aware of what I'm putting in my body Uh, not eating you know cheeseburgers every day or wings or anything like that you know I want to stay physically fit as I can but I'll tell you one thing um, I went when I first started getting pretty heavy mileage, six or seven, well, you know, it's all relatives, 40 miles a week, but six or seven months in, I went to a nutritionist because I was dropping weight too quick. I thought, um, 
I got down to, you know, 142 pounds, 141 pretty quick. And I was like, well, I can't keep losing weight. I don't need to be, you know, I don't need to be much lighter than this. And, and, you know, she gave me some tips of the trade, you know, uh, eating a little bit, eating, eating a, a better calorie kind of diet. I can't even remember what exactly what that is now because it's been two years, but, um, my weight is maintained at about 140 to 145 pretty consistently over the past couple of years. Yeah. That's, I always think it's funny when, uh, I talk to people who are like, have trouble keeping weight on and I'm like, man, jerk, don't say that to me. (laughs) Um, but yeah, that's a good problem to have. Um, so kind of switch, switch directions a little bit. I'm just going to ask you this kind of random question, but do you consider yourself to be mentally tough? I think so. Uh, you know, I, there's a couple ways that I, obviously with my sobriety, it's, it's put me through the mental ringer of how to totally change the way I think and to be uber focused on that and realize that my sobriety is the most important thing in my life without that, like everything crumbles. And so that has been, I think helps you grow mentally strong. Um, on the other end of that, I think in racing, it, it, I think I'm mentally tough in the fact that I know I'm not, the fastest guy as far as foot speed goes, but I know I can push myself to that limit where I think some people don't want to push themselves. So I have to push myself that much harder in the middle, uh, to the, you know, 75% of the race. Cause I probably don't have the leg speed to outkick somebody. Uh, so I think, and I, you know, I work, I, I'm, I'm in the insurance business and I, you know, I'm pretty mentally focused in that as well. I think so. Yeah, I think I'm pretty mentally strong folks. But, you know, I think that's only indicative of the people around you, though, too. So I'm, I'm around constantly. I think iron sharpens iron. I'm around a bunch of great people all the time that, uh, you know, I follow their lead. And it's easy to have that kind of mentality when you're around great people. Yeah, that's great. Do you, was that something that got developed more deeply through, you know, going through rehab, you know, kind of leaving that addiction behind, or is that something that just been a characteristic? Uh, I think for better or worse, I've always been a de- pretty determined guy, even from a young age. Um, I don't know if my mother would probably, probably say strong willed, I guess, as a child, <laughs> I don't know, but, um, yeah, I, I would say that's been ingrained in me since I was a very young young guy uh what so so say for somebody who's not wouldn't because i think part of like being mentally tough for one i think it's like how you identify yourself i think people tend to be mentally tough who think they're mentally tough and then some people whether they're told that or they kind of fall into that category sometimes start to think that they're like mentally weak you know from a guy who considers himself mentally tough and i think that shows in you know you leaving being an alcoholic pretty swiftly um and then you're running you know is it an eyes on the prize thing like you're so focused on the positive outcome that you want i think it i think a positive mental attitude is super important Uh, i think that's i always try to you know i used to do a thing called uh, i guess they call it future tripping i used to always worry about things that might happen um you know but you know at the end of the day those things have not happened. So I try not to worry about things that have not happened yet. 
um, and try to think of the most positive thing uh, that's happening right now and what I can control. What I can control is what I control. And that's a whole other thing I had to learn. Uh, you know, I had to learn through all this was to be able to control what I can control. I can't worry about what other people think. I can't worry about what might happen, but I can control what I can control kind of, you know, mentality has really helped out a lot. Do you, do you think there's good, like, I feel like there's so many skills in develop that you would develop trying to leave an addiction, right? That I think are so applicable to running, like, because there's so many things like that, that I think we get our head of ourselves in our running, right? We start to think about the goal that's way down the line instead of where we're at right now, right? And that like managing the time period that you're in, I think is super useful. Yeah, I think you're 100% right there. What I can control is what I can do right now. What I control running-wise is what I'm going to do in a couple hours when I go run and put my shoes on to go out the door. But I can control that. And I can control that you know, workouts every single day. And then I know if the effort's there, the outcome, it is what it is at that point. I know I've put in a good effort. I know, you know, I've had some bad races here and there throughout this uh, journey the last couple of years, but I know my effort's been there. You know, it just wasn't there that day. Uh, I know for my sobriety and my day-to-day work, I've got to do, I know the things I have to do every single day to make that that success happen. There is an outline of success. And I've, you know, I've, I've, I try to hold myself accountable to that as much as possible. Uh, and it's worked so far. So. Hey, Nathan, uh, I'm wondering if you know the name uh, Marshall Goldsmith. Do you know that guy? <laughs> no. So it's, it's so interesting, the things you were saying about effort. Mm-hmm. Um, so Marshall Goldsmith is this, uh, like one of those life coaches. And he does coaching for a lot of like uh, Fortune 500 companies, like bigger executives and stuff. And he talks about asking yourself the question, did I do my best that I could do today? Did Mm -hmm. I do my best I could do in this workout? Did I give my best at? And you fill in all these blanks with effort level uh, analysis of success. Like, did you give the proper effort level? And it sounds like that's kind of like where you're at with um, helping your confidence. Because if you're giving the right effort level and you're going to be happy with the result, then you're almost automatically going to be confident in what you're doing. 100% accurate. You know, I, all I can worry, like I just said, all I can worry about is what I'm doing today. That's, that's it as far as, my effort, I can, you know, something might happen tomorrow. I don't know what that is, you know, I can, but I can control what I can do right now. Yeah, I agree with that hundred percent too. Like I, I can't tell you how many times I tell myself in like hard workouts or in races, it's like, just do what you can today. Like it may not be on paper, what you thought it was going to be or what you hoped it would be. But like, I'm, I'm pretty certain after years of doing this, I can put out that effort. Right. And I can manage that. But I think when we start to think about times and we're checking our watch every like two seconds, right? Like it can get in your head. <laughs> and I see a lot of people doing that. So I think I, to speak to that, to be mentally tough, I think in a lot of ways is just to be able to focus on the things within your control. I would say, you know, for you know the folks out there listening, you know, if, if you see someone struggling and in, in, in any area of their life, it doesn't have to be addiction. And just a word of encouragement, 
positive statement. It doesn't have to be some profound advice. Just a pat on the back or encouragement goes a long ways um, for someone uh, who went through that. It is uh, to, to know you have good people on your team, super important. Yeah, that's awesome. I know we were on a previous episode, we were talking with one of our coaches, Courtney Barnes, about kind of community within the running space. Um, obviously, the impact of that intervention on you was huge. What and now I think it's so cool that that now like you met your wife, you guys dated for six months, right? Get married. Um, what has been the role of people in bringing to where you are now? So they're the whole reason uh, I am where I am. At the end of the day, I could. Uh, I mean, without without the guidance of my of a, of a good, strong, supportive system, I don't know where I would be. Uh, at first, I, started, I decided to get sober because everyone was concerned, but I realized really quick that I had to do this for myself. And then it translates to your relationships with your loved ones and close ones. But, you know, I think a support system and realizing that your relationship with your close ones are the, is, is the most important thing to help you get through something tough. You know, when you're, when someone like, you know, when I was going through all this and my my stepdad and my dad, you know, checked me in. I was there when I checked in to rehab and they said, Hey, I'm proud of you. And they say, I'm proud of me. This is like the lowest point of my life, you know, <laughs> and you're proud of me. That's, you know, that says something about um, how deep their love and, and their, their, you know, how, how much they love you. So that's the kind of support system I have. And I'm super lucky. Yeah. That's really cool. I feel like, um, the older I get, the more I realize that life is about like these shared experiences that we have with each other, right? And I like, I, I can't remember where I heard this, but I remember listening to this person talking about kind of like all these bad things that happen in the world or happen maybe to good people who lose a child, you know? And I remember them describing this as like, but what rich experience. And I thought that was such a cool way to look at it is like, to go through life and experience these rich emotions and have maybe traumatic events happen, but like how rich is your experience now because you went through what you did? How much does your wife mean to you now because you know that you went through that process to get there? Um, yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's. Uh, I, I guess the question I would ask is, would you change anything about your, your journey thus far? I think I would change is the, uh... You know, the hurt that I heard and worry I caused my loved ones 20 plus years, not realizing that you're, you know, you're so full of addiction that you don't realize that there's uh, a lot of collateral damage around you. That's something that, um, you know, I've, I've spent time apologizing for and hopefully the only way I can, uh, you know, make that right is the way I'm acting now. Hopefully it's the behaviors and, things I'm doing now to make those folks proud and let them know that what their worry, I appreciate their worry and, you know, they've, they've helped turn around, turn around my life. So those are the thing yeah, that, that's for sure. The one thing I would change would be, you know, hurting the loved ones around you and not really, you know, being blind to that while it's going on. Yeah. I feel like so many problems that we experience 
or like us choosing, like you said, Nathan's way, right? Maybe that's not the path for you. Where we like, we get so sucked into our own self that we maybe even isolate. I know I've been there. Um, and it's like, it's, it's so interesting how there's like coming back to the group and, you know, kind of leaving some of your ego behind, right? And I think the cool thing about breaking addiction is you definitely get to this place where you're humbled by it, right? And you have to like leave that ego behind and come back to, you know, people that you love and care about. Yeah, ego and pride, are, you know, get in the way of a lot of good things. Yeah. You know, it caused me uh, a lot of damage for a long time. So once you can, I'm able to, you're able to drop that veil of ego and pride and say, hey, this is how I am. I need help or, you know, I've accepted, you know, these are the deficiencies I have. I need help. So those are the things that for me had to go first with my ego and pride. And, you know, with that acceptance comes and everything else can be great. That's awesome. So say somebody's listening to this podcast and they are dealing with some form of addiction. Maybe they think they might have an addiction going on. What's the first step back? I would say what we've talked about is, is realizing that you have a problem. Um, no one can tell you you're an alcoholic. No one can tell you that you're, you know, have addiction issues. The light bulb goes on when you realize that you have a, have a problem. And once that light bulb goes off, I would say lean on the people around you. There's people that love you, whether that's a counselor or a family member, there are people there that want to help you and get you in the best place you can be. So those, that's what I would say. Awesome. Well, Nathan, thanks so much for coming on, man. Um, I know such an amazing story. I know this will impact our listeners and I know it's definitely impacted me. Um, and yeah, best of luck on all the future racing. Thanks. I hope to see you out there. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, man. Hey, let me know when you're, uh, racing, uh, any, any time up this way. Yeah. I'm going to do the March race up there. So sweet. Dude. Let's, let's hang out. Okay. Hey guys. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. It's been a little bit since we recorded with Nathan and I've had a little bit of time to reflect on on the conversation and just some of the things that I've learned from it. So I was reflecting on this part of the conversation where Nathan said, there's a plan for success. And he said, you know, I'm a pretty disciplined guy and I hold myself accountable to that. And I think in the same regards, sobriety is such a huge undertaking that it could be so overwhelming that you have to take it you know, in bite-sized chunks day by day, and you have to have a plan of action of how you're going to do that. And I think in the same way with our runnings and all parts of our lives, really, uh, having a plan of how am I going to structure my day to accomplish this big goal. And it's what we try to do at Run Free, I think, is to break it down into our holistic five principles is really just to lay it out for you in a way that is comprehensible that is achievable and you can really just go through your day and check off, you know, am I taking care of my training? Am I taking care of my nutrition? Am I taking care of my rest? Am I taking care of the internal game? Am I doing all those little details in the 1% that make a big difference when you're putting them all together? So I would encourage you guys to think about that. What does your day look like? How are you accomplishing your plan for success 
in your day-to-day life. And if that's something you feel like you don't have laid out for you, I would really encourage you to talk to your coach. Um, If you don't have a coach, do research online. Uh, We have a ton of great resources for for you guys as our athletes and also for just the running community at large. Um, So I think that's, for me, a big takeaway is I don't have to be completely consumed by the huge, massive goal of what I'm trying to achieve. I really just need to focus on what is my day-to-day. And I think if you can take care of the day-to-day, those days will add up and you'll get where you're trying to go.